Morning. All right, our scripture reading for this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 983. So it's Colossians 1.15 through 2.15, page 983 in the Pew Bible. Please stand with me for the reading of the word. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 1 of Colossians. This is the word of the Lord. He, this is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent." For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known." the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." For in him, the, full, the, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Amen to that. Um, good morning, Bethel family. Good to see you all. And there's actually a special welcome, um, I think, in order. We have a new friend from Mary Campbell, Ryan Fleischett. It's so good to have you here. So looking forward to getting to know you better, Ryan, um, in the weeks to come, joining Barry and um, also Ralph and Roland. So we're thankful for our friends from Mary Campbell. Be sure to, to get to know Brian. And if you don't know Barry and, and uh, Ralph and Roland, be sure to get to know them as well. Um, so speaking of the gospel, we're starting this uh, three-week series, refresh of our three values. So what are our three values? Mission, okay? Pretty simple, easy to remember, right? So this morning, the first one, gospel of Jesus Christ. So our values are kind of a helpful way, I hope, of keeping us centered, um, of keeping the main things the main things. And so we are all on planet Earth for one ultimate purpose, to glorify God. But <laughs> it feels like oftentimes there's just a million things in our lives, right? And it can be really helpful to have things that keep us centered personally and as a church. So that's the point of having these values. Um, we do have a purpose statement, a way of saying we exist to glorify God. Look at the uh, front of the bulletin there on the top. Our purpose, to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name. We exist to glorify God and the good of all peoples. So um, the values then flesh out how that works out. How do we do that? How do we live this way? Um, well, by keeping the gospel at the center, because the gospel is the power to change us into the image of Jesus so that we reflect God's glory in clear and winsome ways. By prioritizing gospel community, the kind of relationships that only the gospel can produce, we need each other. So we are God's means of grace to one another, to live in community, to love and bear one of those burdens and encourage one another and, and help along the way. So loving God and neighbor is what life is all about, and we need each other to help each other live that way. And then by prioritizing gospel mission, we get the best news in the world, and everybody needs it. So if you really find a wonderful thing of great value, you want to share it. And there's nothing more valuable than the treasure of the gospel. So you, none of us can do everything, right? But if you're a Christian, you've got to do the main things. And we need to keep the main things the main things. So we've got to do gospel at the center. Gospel community, gospel mission. That needs to be in our lives and central. 
shaping us, centering us. Um, so this morning we focus on the gospel. So let, let me just quickly here tie this one into our purpose statement, okay? So the purpose statement is here's why we're here. How do we live that out? Why do we say we exist to reflect God's infinite worth? Well, God made us in his image. He made us like little reflectors to give off the light of the one we love. Okay, so we were to be like little moons set on the sun of God's glory and his love and his grace. And set on him, we then reflect his light, his character all around us. So we were formed in the image of God to reflect the glory of God. And that's why even we were tasked, our first parents were tasked to be fruitful and multiply. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Why? To fill the earth with his glory. It was supposed to fill the earth. God's glory just reflected everywhere. But sin comes in and deforms us. When we look away from God and we turn in on ourselves, turn to the darkness away from the light, we become deformed and distorted. The lens of our lives is dirty and deformed and even kind of cracked. So we don't reflect the light of God's glory. We reflect the fangs of the evil one. We bite and devour. We use people rather than bless people, right? So we deserve to be judged and destroyed. Like the flood was a real judgment, but it also is a foreshadowing of what's to come to everyone who doesn't ultimately trust in God and bow the knee. Judgment comes to rebels. That's all of us. So that's what we deserve, like a flood, like Irma just bearing down us. It's like a parable. We deserve that kind of destruction. And I'm not saying that, you know, Florida deserves it more than us. Nothing like that. I'm just saying we do deserve the wrath of God that's coming against our cosmic rebellion. But instead, because he's so merciful, God is so merciful and so loving, Jesus actually took the full force of that divine wrath, swallowing it up so that he could say to our troubled souls, peace, be still. So to all who've trusted in him, Jesus took the full force of the wrath for us and we're rescued from it. But if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're going to face that on your own. I think we all know we need mercy. Like if, if you know the gospel and yet you're not trusting in Jesus truly to be your Savior, to rescue from just wrath, you're basically saying, I, I don't need him. I don't think you want to face the judge of all the earth on your own without your advocate, without Jesus' blood covering you and him being your rescuer. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus, I just appeal to you to do that today. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you. So, but when we do trust in Christ, we start to change. Not by our own self-effort, iron will, you know, just efforts to be good. We're changed from the inside out. Grace takes root. 
we are reformed, remade, transformed from the inside out. New loves and desires and priorities. We're born again. We're born from above. We're made new. It's like new creation. So we're transformed by grace and being conformed to the image of Jesus so that we can once again shine with his light brightly and radiantly. So do you see how the gospel is absolutely central to us fulfilling our purpose for existence? So do you see why? Here's our purpose statement. Here's why the gospel is our first value. So formed image of God, deformed by sin, transformed by the gospel, and conformed day after day, slowly and surely, to the image of Jesus so that we can glorify God. So that's what God is doing in us. That's what he's doing in his church. We can either welcome that work or we can resist it. Hope you want to welcome that work and not resist it. So we're going to consider how to welcome that work by looking into the letter um, to the church at Colossae, the book called Colossians, New Testament, and see how the, the gospel is central to everything. And it certainly needs to be central in our lives. So um, I think we might know that the gospel is power of God for salvation, but do we really know, do we really live it out in such a way that the gospel is actually the power for change on a daily basis as well? So um, again, clear that it's the power of God for salvation, but do we really believe, do we really kind of day-to-day live in such a way that we show that this is actually how we're going to be changed. This is how we're going to grow. This is how we're going to leave old habits and patterns behind and become the people God has saved us to be. So um, big picture this morning is this. In fact, open to Colossians if you're not there now. Just want to show you the big picture of where we're headed, and then we'll dive in. So look first at Colossians 2.6. Um, in a sense, we're camping out in two verses, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, but we're kind of going to see how this is worked out throughout the book. So we're going to be kind of seeing it all over the place. Um, but the summary is there in verses 9 and 10. But here's a big picture. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Why? Because, look at verse 9, because in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, Christian, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So if that's the case, that's why Paul's philosophy of life and ministry is summed up at the end of chapter 1. So look back at chapter 1, verse 27. So to them, to the saints, those who trust in Jesus, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, among the nations, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So how do we become mature in Christ? We need to hear about Jesus. So Paul is all about proclaiming Christ. We've got to know Christ if we're going to be mature in Christ. 
You need Jesus if you're going to become like Jesus. You need to know the fullness in Christ if you're going to be full in Christ. So we're going to consider first his fullness and then our fullness in him, and then uh, we'll go from there. So there's an outline in the bulletin. It'll also be up on the screen here, but let's just pray again briefly before we dive in. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us now. Please, would you give us the ability to be attentive to you, to your word, drive away the distractions. And I pray that you would awaken a a meekness and a humility before you that we want to receive your word humbly because this word is able not only to save us, but also to change us, to strengthen us, to help us with whatever we are going through right now. So Lord, please help me to make it clear, but I pray that by your spirit, you would drive your word home into our hearts and Cause it to do its work powerfully. That this would not just be informational, but that it would be transformational. That you would give us eyes to see, the spiritual eyes of faith to see the overflowing fullness that is only found in Jesus. And I pray that we would lift up the cup of salvation and call on your name. And I pray that you would fill our cup this morning, that we would be filled to overflowing with your grace and that we would walk out of here walking with Jesus, strengthened and filled up and encouraged and equipped for the race that's set before us. So we need your help We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first off, we look at all the fullness that is found in Christ. This is all over the place in Colossians. Look first at at chapter 1, verse 19. Okay, so it says it about as clear as it can be stated there. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So to see what that is summarizing, to see what that means, you got to look at it in context. So don't just blow through this. It was read earlier. Let's just slow down and savor Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Um, Some people think that this was like an early hymn written just in praise of Jesus. So look at verse 15. He is the image of of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, what's God like? He's the visible expression, the visible image of the invisible God. God wants us to know him. And so he sent his son, Jesus took on flesh and blood so that we could know God, so that we could know what he's like, so we could see him. The firstborn of all creation, that term firstborn is used in the Old Testament of a king that's installed. So if you remember Psalm 2, it says, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. It doesn't mean today I gave you birth. It means today I enthroned you to rule. Okay, so this is firstborn over all creation. It's not that Jesus was created. It's speaking of his right to rule, his privilege and his prerogative as God's son. For by him, so you can even see Paul explains what he's talking about. He's the firstborn over all creation because by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So Jesus created Satan. Like, obviously, as not as evil. That was after the fall of Satan. But the point is, he's infinitely more powerful than all the other angels. He's not just a, a great angel. So by him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. All things were created through him and for him, for his glory. All things were created for the glory of the Son. And he is before all things. Do you see how many times all things shows up here? And in him, all things hold together. Just stop and think about that one for a minute. In Christ... The entire universe holds together. If Jesus said the word, the entire universe would disintegrate, would implode, would whatever. He, like it says in Hebrews 1, he sustains the world by the word of his power, by his mere powerful word, he sustains everything. I mean, how do we even get our minds around that? Talk about the fullness in Christ, fullness of power, fullness of authority. So creation, he is preeminent. He is over it all. Before it all, it all came about through him. It all is for his glory. But not just creation, also redemption, the church, the new creation. Look at verse 18. And he's the head of the body. Okay? The ruling authority over the body of Christ, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So his resurrection was the beginning of the new creation. He's going to make all things new. And he is the firstfruits of it. Firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Have the first place. The highest place. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. In him, all the fullness of God dwells. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The only way that we can be reconciled to the Father at peace with God is through Jesus because of his work on the cross. It's the only way that our sin can be dealt with and we can be reconciled with a God um, that we were enemies against. Our sin separating us from him, but 
He brought us back together by the blood of his cross. So look also at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. You got to see all this fullness that Paul wants us to see because it's from Jesus' fullness that we are filled up. So Paul wants the Colossians' hearts there in verse 2 to be encouraged, being knit together in love. Why? To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So again, you see all the fullness that's in Christ? It's all the fullness of God dwelling in human form. Look down at verse 9 again, the verse that we started with. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay. So let's think about this a little bit. How many of you like getting packages from Amazon? Okay. Well, at least a few of you. All right. Um, what can't you get on Amazon? Um, course books and diapers and whatever. I mean, I got a front left fender for our old Honda minivan. I mean, I couldn't find, you know, Honda parts and blah, 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 and it was really expensive and literally primed black. Our car was black. 150 bucks. Put it on. Amazon. Seriously? Lots of other stuff, lots of fun stuff. Christmas time, you know, a little smile on your box, putting a smile on your little face, you know? Anybody? So apparently that little smile arrow thing was originally intended to mean that they're happy to deliver anything anywhere. But it also has additional meaning. Apparently there was a press release at some point, you know? And did you notice that the arrow starts under the A in Amazon and it ends up at the Z in Amazon, okay? So it means they sell everything from A to Z and they're happy to do it. Smile, right? So you're all going to rush home and look at your last box or order something just to see it, okay? But here's the point. Jesus is infinitely better than Amazon. He is the one-stop shop for everything you need. I mean, this is so important. And I'm not talking about just knowing this in our heads. I mean, like, the way we live tomorrow, the way we live later this week, are we living like this? Don't you want to live like this? The book of Colossians is in the canon so that we would live like this. And can I just say something? I'm going to go on a little preacher rant right now, okay? I really hope what we all talk about after this message is not the little consumer trivia of Amazon smiles. But we talk about how gloriously full Jesus is. I, I think oftentimes, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to like, you know, throw something at you or whatever if this ever happens in the future, but it's happened a number of times. Talk about glorious things and, you know, I'm always fun, trying to find ways to say it better. You can hardly give the gospel, or, you know, do the gospel justice, but it's oftentimes little petty things that people remember and talk about, like the illustration rather than the point of the illustration. Yeah? So, we really need to, like, that's just, we're kind of spring-loaded to the little, little tiny things, you know? Like, we need to learn how to look up 
and see the glory of Jesus and help each other see the glory of Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, Jesus is God's treasure chest of holy, full, forever joy. So what do you need? Coming in this morning, what do you need? Jesus has it. We don't leave Jesus to go get what we need, ever. We come to Jesus to get what we need. If we are leaving Jesus to get something, we don't need it. It's a poor imitation. It's a substitute. So you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and people are coming to him, kind of like a genie, you know, hoping to satisfy more of their earthly appetites. And Jesus called him out on it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs pointing to the significance of who I am, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Hey, let's go back there. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he goes on a few verses later in John 6, 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, ever hunger. There's like a double negative in Greek to just make it really emphatic. Whoever comes to me will never, ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never, ever thirst. Spiritual hunger and thirst that we so often try to slake at the broken cistern imitation sources of satisfaction in the world around us. So anything that we turn to that turns us away from Jesus is a shadow. It's a lie. It's a mirage. And Paul is trying to say this to the Colossians, and he's trying to say it to us as well. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2 again. God wants us to reach all the riches of fullness, full assurance of understanding. See? Once this fullness for us, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, don't fall for false advertising. Satan loves to kind of switch the price tags like, or, or, or the valuation of things to make what is precious and wonderful look boring and what is deadly look enticing. Don't fall for the false advertising, even if it's, even if it's clothed in religious garb. Look at the same concern down in verse 8, chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, some of you raise your hands for Amazon. I don't know who's going to raise their hands for this one, but like, I thought of one of my high school favorite rap groups. It's a little shout out to them. Don't believe the hype. Come on, anybody? Public enemy? No. Okay, wow. That was... Hey, there we go. Thank you. I see that hand. Um, okay, so don't believe the hype. Don't be deceived. Don't be taken captive and deceived by human tradition. Christ is the only one you want to be captive to because he's the best master in the universe. He masters us to bless us and fill us, not fleece us. 
Same thing again down in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Religious rules as a path to maturity. External religion. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So don't exchange the substance for a shadow because God's agenda in this book is fullness for us. And that fullness is only found in Christ. So all the fullness of God is in Jesus. All the fullness we need is found in Jesus, one-stop shopping. And we have actually been filled. If we are in Christ, we have been filled in Jesus. We need to know what we have. So second point, all the fullness in Christ for us. Look at verse 9 again, chapter 2. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you, Christian, have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So we've got to stop acting like street children, little survivors, when we've been adopted by the king of the universe. You know, I used the illustration before, like a little child that gets adopted out of a, an orphanage and he's hiding food in his high chair in the first weeks because he's had to scrap and scrape and survive on his own. No, everything that's the father and mother's is, is that child's, but they need to learn to trust the father. And so all this fullness is actually ours. We've got to know what's ours in him. So Paul worked really hard in the book of Colossians to help the Colossians get this. We need to get this. So let's look at it a little bit here. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. I'm sorry, flip that, dyslexia. Colossians 2, verse 1. Look how hard Paul is working for their sake to get this fullness. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I'm working so hard that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, where else are you going to go? Jesus has it all. Everything you need is found in Jesus. So I heard this great illustration um, in a message by a guy named Brian Davis. He's a pastor up in Philly at Risen Christ Fellowship. And he said, no, Christian is truly empty. He said, I know what a hoopty is. You know what a hoopty is? Like a jalopy? Okay, thank you. Um, anybody have one of those cars, like at some point in your life, where, you know, the gas gauge was broke and you just kind of had to guess? Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, yep. Some amens there. So imagine going to the gas station or going to the mechanic or whatever, and, you know, it's reading empty, but it's actually full. Well, that's a picture of our life in Christ. That's our problem, is that we're believing the gauge, our emotions or circumstances or whatever, rather than, oh, wait. So coming to the book of Colossians, coming to church on Sunday, you know, going to community group and encouraging each other in the gospel, that's like helping each other, like being mechanics to each other. Say, oh, no, no, actually your tank's full. Just the gauge is broken. So are you feeling empty? Did you come in that way, feeling hollow? 
you feel defeated, like you lack the resources or the opportunity to keep going, to make it, what do you need? You need righteousness? You feel like God loves me more on my good days and I'm not sure what he thinks of me on my bad days. No, you are justified forevermore if you're trusting in Jesus. You can't produce that on your own. Are you kidding me? It's righteousness from God that comes through faith in Jesus. You need some sanctification. You need to grow. You feel stuck. Can you be... Can you grow in maturity by your own efforts? Absolutely not. But can Jesus give you grace to grow? Oh, yeah. How about redemption? You feel enslaved to something and you need freed from that sin? How about wisdom? Are you smart enough for what you're facing? Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.30. You are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's all in him. And it's yours if you're in him. It's yours if you are in him. Gas tank is full. So what else do you need? Acceptance, belonging, strength, endurance, courage, freedom, hope, peace, love, purpose, clarity, healing. It's go to Jesus. I mean, just stop and think. We, this is why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. This is why we've got to focus on Christ. This is why we have to keep running to him and looking to him. That's why we read the Bible, not to check off a box or finish some annual reading program or something. To, no, because we're desperate. Because we need grace. Where else are you going to get it? So if you're a Christian, you went from infinite debt to infinite riches of mercy. Paul talks here about this debt that was nailed to the cross, record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Jesus set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Infinite wrath to infinite love and acceptance and reconciliation. You went from hopeless, without hope and without God, to with God, living, unkillable hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, do you believe this? All your problems, all my problems, come from not believing all that is ours in Christ, all our problems. We think we're empty. A friend of mine talked about it this way. Grace of Jesus is like Niagara Falls. So Niagara Falls, like something like 800,000 gallons of water pour over the falls every second. 45 million gallons of water pour over the falls every minute. 2.7 billion gallons of water every hour. I mean, you get the idea. It's like a lot of water. The problem is not with Jesus. It's not that he's stingy with his grace and fullness. It's not that his grace and love and mercy and kindness and wisdom and strength is lacking. It's that our little hearts are like a thimble. And trials and temptations, like, knock our little thimble over, and the water just kind of cascades over and hits the ground. We don't get filled by it. We need to keep our thimble righted by faith. And you know what? 
Like in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and we would, being rooted and grounded in love, would be able to comprehend how wide and long and high and deep and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we would be filled up to all the fullness. We actually need God to make our little thimble bigger, like turn it into a Dixie cup and then turn it into a coffee cup and then turn it into a paint can and then a five-gallon bucket. The issue is not, there's not much coming down. The issue is, our capacity is so small. But God can increase our capacity. That's why Jesus came. Listen to John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glory as an only Son from the Father, all deity dwelling in Christ full of grace and truth. And then this, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So Michael Reeves wrote the little book we're giving away. I told you I'm going to go on a Michael Reeves kick. So I'm going to read a little bit from this book called Rejoicing in Christ. Also one I'd recommend. Here's what he says. The Lord of glory has made himself a closer friend It's a little bit of an extended quote, so just prepare yourself. Um, The Lord of glory has made himself a closer friend than any other. No, not just close. The bridegroom has made himself one with his dear bride. Because of what the Son of God has done, I can now say that I am flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. All he is has already given to us. I'm sorry, all he is He has already given to us so that all he has, he can share with us. Then he unpacks it this way. We are clothed with a righteousness that's not our own, but Christ's. As Adam and Eve were clothed by the Lord in the skin of the first sacrificial animal, so Christians are clothed with Christ. Instead of having to face God in the fig leaves of our own efforts, we appear before the Father in him. Our vice is covered and buried by his perfection. It isn't that Christians imagine silly spiritual shenanigans going on, Jesus wafting his righteousness to us through the ether while we sling him a package called sin. We are clothed in his righteousness because we are in him, in Christ. As Calvin put it, we do not therefore contemplate Christ outside ourselves from afar in order that his righteousness may be imputed to us but because we have put on Christ and are engrafted into his body. In short, because he deigns to make us one with him. So a little more Reformation stuff for you here. Um, Leading, kind of pointing towards October. Martin Luther was the first of the Reformers to pick up the theme, telling the gospel as the story of a king, representing Jesus, marrying a poor girl of ill repute, representing us. At their wedding, she would say to him, all that I am I give to you, And all that I have, I share with you. In that moment, she shares with him all her debts and shame. Then the king would reply, All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. At which the wretched girl becomes the queen. And all the kingdom is hers. Just so our great bridegroom has taken all our sin, our death, our judgment, and he shares with us all his life and perfect righteousness. He has become poor that we might share his riches. It's the great marriage swap or what Luther called the joyful exchange. Christ is one with his people, so all theirs is his and all his is theirs. Amen. 
That's awesome. <laughs> There's more. Just, I'll cut it down a little bit here, but I love this idea right here. He says, pause for a moment. That utterly transforms what it means to be a Christian. For this marriage is no marriage of convenience. We don't marry Jesus to get the green card for some other blessings. Oh, no. It's not a marriage of convenience. The point is not that we say I do to use him or his connections simply to marry into his heavenly citizenship or status. We are not, as John Calvin put it, supposed to seek in Christ something else than Christ himself. The greatest benefit of union with Christ is Christ. This marriage is made so that we may know and enjoy him. Union with him is the foundation, the beginning. Communion with him is the goal. So we need to know, we need to experience what is ours in Jesus. So we need to keep going to Jesus, which is why we need to tune our ears and our hearts to Jesus, to the gospel every day. That's why Paul's ministry was all about proclaiming him. Point number three. Whoa, okay, point number three. <laughs> um, look at verse 128. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How do we grow in grace? How do we become more like Jesus? How do we mature? Paul's answer is knowing Christ, preaching Christ. I mean, this is not some recent gimmick, gospel-centered living, preach the gospel yourself every day. This is a biblical idea. We are only matured by the grace of of Jesus. So if all the fullness of God is found in Christ and all that fullness is ours through him, we've got to keep preaching Christ here week by week, but we need to be pre preaching Christ to ourselves and to each other day by day, week by week, so that we will grow in the same way that we came alive. So last point, walk in him to six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Robert Murray McShane once said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks to Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace. And, for, and all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and with repose in his almighty arms, let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. So, Bethel, brothers and sisters, this is your task. This is my task. This is our duty. This is our assignment to walk in him just as we've received him as a gift, his fullness for our emptiness, his righteousness for our sin, his strength for our weakness. So, walk in him, looking to him, coming to him, being filled by him, knowing what is yours in him. And we will be filled, we'll grow, we'll mature and become more like Jesus. So let me just close with a couple examples of what this looks like and then we'll sing a song and be done and seek to go live it out. So you feeling poor this morning? James says the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So whether it's you know, spiritually poor or financially, monetarily poor, either way, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know what you ought to go do if you're feeling poor? Go revel in your account statements. Do you ever do this? Like, I know people do this with their you know, 401k or their bank account. I'm talking about spiritual bank. Like, it's, it's yours. Go revel in it. And don't just do that. Make some significant withdrawals this week. Don't worry, you can't use it up. His mercies are new every morning. You feeling unsafe? Feeling vulnerable? Go walk through the armory, the arsenal that's yours, Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And don't just admire the armor and the weapons. Put them on. Try them out. They're yours for the taking. See how effective they are. With this armor on, weak little sheep can stiff arm Satan, who's a roaring lion prowling about seeking whom he may devour. You feeling lonely? Go soak in the relational riches that are yours. You have a father and a family. Your father will never leave you or forsake you. You have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The spirit of the living God dwells within you. You are never alone. God refused that option. And you are a citizen of the greatest kingdom in the universe under the greatest king, and he knows you personally and loves you intimately. You're part of a chosen race, a people of God's own possession, his treasured possession. You have more brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the faith than you can possibly get to know, at least in this life. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering you on, and you're going to live forever in a world of love with God and a vast company of perfectly loving saints in sweet society for all eternity. Are you feeling depressed? Go and consider what joys and hopes are yours. Are you feeling anxious? Go and consider what certainties are yours and who it is who holds them, who has given them to you, and who holds them in his sovereign grip as he holds you in his sovereign grip. So the fullness of Christ is ours through Christ. So just as we've received that fullness by grace, let's walk with him and shine with that fullness sharing it with everybody that needs us, needs it all around us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, your love is so deep and so wide. Please, would you help us to know your love, your blood-bought, glorious gospel love that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and so be filled up to all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.